welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, I'm a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, bringing you Dr. Al Valerian, who is a CMIO and has such an entrepreneurial background. I think you're really going to love all the things that he's got his hands in and just to show you what is possible as a technology-oriented doctor. Al, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it to be here. Awesome. So if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself and in particular, when you get to the end here about your journey of how you became a CMIO, tell us what you, because you just made a new change here, tell us about what you're doing now. Currently, I am the Health Network CMIO for New Vance Healthcare Network up in Poughkeepsie. It's a collaboration between Western Connecticut Health Network and HealthQuest. became merged back in April of 2019. So I oversee the clinical informatics, innovation, and then future vision and, and energy, I guess, for the informatics platforms for their leadership patients and clinicians. And so how did you get into informatics? Take us back a little bit here. What's the beginning of the journey look like? I'll go back to my Harvard days. And Harvard interested in using computers as part of everyday life. Back then, we had paper and pencil. And I bought one of the first Mac 512 enhanced computers and started dabbling in computers back then. That would probably be around 1994, 95 or so. And then uh, applying for medical school, I received the Health Army Health Profession Scholarship, which allowed me to pay for medical school during the time between Desert One and, and Desert Storm Two. So I attended medical school with the Army Scholarship at Jefferson Medical College. And there I was able to both do clinical and research in computerization. So I did two years of my classes, learning about medicine, of course, and then in between the classroom and the clinical sessions took two years in developing uh, computer software for education, computer-assisted design for healthcare at uh, Jefferson Medical College. And then when I finished my clinicals and then entered the military after graduating medical school as a captain and was assigned the 4th Infantry Division as part of the science integration workflow for healthcare, overseeing their early informatics ventures and smart cards and telehealth, beaming clinical information off a satellite back to our hospital when I was deployed in California. So that interest grew there and I finished the military in 2000 as a major and entered the civilian practice at Albert Einstein Healthcare Network in Philadelphia as a director of medical informatics. In 2000, there was no such thing as a CMIO or medical informatics. It was just, hey, you have computerization, let's try to apply it to healthcare. So developing that nurturing that interest in computers in alignment with healthcare and emergency medicine allowed me to develop a, a CMIO position at Einstein in 2004-2005, for which I've maintained that uh, title to 2010. But that integration of healthcare, understanding what the clinical needs are, understanding what our colleagues need from a clinical perspective, reducing what I call the delta of waste wasted time, wasted documentation, wasted paper, wasted efforts by people, and, and enhancing the lean and throughput measures that we all use today to be efficient in care delivery. 
So that's the epitome of becoming that CMIO when CMIOs were early in 2010. And then I said to myself, well, now that I've come this far, let's find out what's going on in the healthcare marketplace. So I, I entered the, the vendor market and I worked with a couple of companies to understand where clinical informatics really is from the development side. And it gave me great insight into understanding how software and hardware workflows and the impact on how marketing drives healthcare delivery and how the interaction, the relationship, I, I like to say the synergy between the vendor and the clinicians has to be one of, of fluidity because in order to improve innovation in healthcare, we have to rely on not just internal resources within our own healthcare network, but external third parties that are really bringing cutting edge technologies to healthcare overall. And that alliance and understanding helped me create where I am currently in terms of balancing the vendor market and creating new innovations and allowing myself to be a CMIO from the clinical perspective. Those two years that you did in between the didactic and the clinical part of med school, that sounds like you were involved with design. Has that influenced you in your ability to make what you're building for uh, clinicians in the EMR more user-friendly, more accessible for the end user to just get their job done better? Absolutely. The information transfer from a screen to a person is very graphical. If there's too much text or too much font or, the, or it's unreadable, that GUI, the graphic user interface, is the primary conduit for which information travels from the computer to the person. Working with developing the software for orthopedics in terms of their training model and working with the training sessions I did at Jefferson for the second year working in the Department of Anatomy. The graphic user interface was very important to highlight certain anatomical structures and procedural training that allowed transfer of information to be efficient. So taking that and bringing it to the development world for the companies I work with and developed allowed a better understanding and adoption by the end users who are clients of ours and my fellow colleagues who are the clinical folks who have to understand what we're trying to transfer, not just from the EMR perspective, but also from a workflow perspective. Being able to help people understand clinical information really is, I believe, the key to adoption of EMRs and efficiency in the workflows as we develop them today. And, and as we say, optimize them today, now that we've gone past meaning for use, I call it 2.9, let's say. Mm -hmm. What you said resonates with me because all the best practice alerts that came out of foundation in the electronic record that we use, we're on Epic, are all text. There's no visual, there's no graphic. And I'm spending a fair amount of time going through every alert and adding in a picture so that someone can just visually say, oh, okay, I know what that is. That's the antibiotic alert, and I know just what I need to do. So I love that ability to bring design to the EMR and make it more user-friendly. So that skill you have has got to be phenomenal. Thank you. So... Tell us a little bit about being a CMIO back in the early 2000s, and how is that different than today? Uh, of course, I think it has to do with a couple of factors. One, technology 
was relatively rudimentary. People were still trying to design what is an EMR? What, what are we going to do with all this paper and all these charts and all this information and how are we going to support the workflow of better care? As we all know, when you go from one EMR to another or, or paper to an EMR, you have nine months to 12 months of resolution time and you still maybe get 75% of efficiency that you had before. And that's has to do not only by the EMR, but also by the end user. There's an end user upgrade that I've, I've seen in well, like three or four activations of EMRs that I've been with in my career, that it's, it's very difficult for some to engage themselves in understanding. That end user upgrade, changing their methodologies of how they interact with the computer, developing what's called fixed action patterns. Fixed action patterns are activities that are automated that aren't thought they're ingrained because you've done them so many times already that you automatically do them without thinking like putting a password in you're not really thinking about it you know what the password is you hit you see the screen asking for a password then they bang enter and it goes in you don't have to touch slowly with that but those fixed action patterns take time to develop and when you're asking clinicians to look at a new interface a new workflow, a new EMR, a new environment, you're asking them to create tens to a hundred of new fixed action patterns that take time to develop. Every single one has to be relearned and relearned within the brain function for those to be successful. So that's why back then in 20, you know, 2005, 2010, there was a lot of learning going on from the clinical world. How are we doing this? And that's why we had obviously a lot of pushback, a lot of not negativity, but less adoption resolution by the caregivers. And I totally respect that. Just trying to find a brand new operating system when you're going from a Mac to iOS, it takes time to understand where all the right levers are to be successful in, in how you want to apply them to your environment. EMRs, workflows, clinical care is individual. How I want to practice my medicine, the technology that you're giving to me as a clinician to enhance and, and make my workflow efficient not delay it or make me discouraged by using it. And as we saw for a decade, we've been fighting the fight and fighting the good fight to get where we are today. In comparison to today, you have brand new clinicians who are entering the workforce, graduating medical school, finishing up their, their master's degrees, going to informatics fellowships, getting board certified in informatics. The interest, the evolutionary power of the brain trust today in clinicians is much more aligned with the success of utilizing technology as a partner with healthcare delivery ongoing. Right now, many of the clinicians I've talked to are data-driven. I want the information to come to me. I don't have to go out and get it. I want it to be given to me so I can have it as a heads-up display, like flying a fighter jet. Everything should be there notifications, alerts, but alerts that are intelligent. If the missile's coming, then let me know. Don't have me have to go out and remind myself, oh, go look for the missile, go look for the missile, because the time I don't go look for the missile, that's when it's gonna come. So the alerts have to be intelligent and driven by the clinical entity you're, you're working with. EMRs today are a lot more 
pliable, I would say, in terms of development and working with the, the, the vendors, some more than others, but it still comes down to the end user and the CMIO's role in supporting the success of adoption is really relevant to the clinicians you're working with. So that's why EMR isn't a, a network EMR. It's a network EMR that can be transferred into the understanding of the workflows of the clinical team you're working with, whether it be pediatrics, orthopedics, emergency medicine, et cetera. You have to understand their needs and develop the graphic user interface and workflows that are catered to the success of them per se within the clinical silo. So the difference between before and now is the ability to make those changes in the modern day world, integrating more clinical information, having remote processing going on, as well as artificial intelligence that drives the intellect of the experience for those clinicians. Let's talk a little bit about your, your current position, your new job. By the way, making a jump to a new position in the middle of a COVID crisis takes some guts, my friend. That is a move. But Thank you. Maybe just set the background for us. Sure. Is it one EMR, multiple EMRs? What EMR are you on there? Right. We have Cerner EMR, and okay. Cerner was uh, lifted up at both the HealthQuest Healthcare Network and at the Western Connecticut Healthcare Network at, at two different uh, activations. Now, we're, our job now is to align them within each of the networks and then consolidate them to one MMPI, et cetera, and one experience. The issues we have to come to uh, understand is that we're in two states. So the Western Connecticut, obviously in Connecticut, and the Cerner in HealthQuest is in New York State. So there's two billing models, and one is Cerner, one is Sorian. We have to maintain the disparity between the two because of the, the Medicare billing within those states. But we want to merge the experience for the clinician so that if you're practicing in, in let's say, Vassar Hospital in New York, it's a very similar graphic user interface and function and success in care delivery as you would be in practicing in, in Danbury, Connecticut. The goal is, from the front end, is to develop a, a single port of entry for our patients. So that means developing a digital patient experience model that allows one-stop shop to access any clinical or support services or educational services within the realm of New Vance Health. It's a big jump. We've had multiple changes in leadership over the last few years. But now we've consolidated. Now we have one functioning body. We have one medical executive uh, committee. But we have two medical executive IT subcommittees within each area. Because again, back to the talking to the clinical people, how they want to act and how they want to work within their realm allows us that capability to address the subjective desires and design for the, again, vast graphic user interface, the learning functions, et cetera, within the two sides of our uh, one healthcare network. Who do you report to and do you have direct sure. reports? Help us understand where you fit in the organization. Sure. As a network CMIO, I report to the CIO, Jeff Hook, who he and I are both on the executive team and he reports up through finance and then finance reports to the president of the, the network. But from my perspective, I am very comfortable being a servant leader, serving all of the clients that are required to have IT informatics support. I'm always open, my, my front door is always open, and I say my iPhone is always open. I give out my cell number to everybody who needs to get a hold of me. So a lot of 
what we do in terms of issues, resolution, and questions comes by text to me, and then I can decipher what the need is, and I can get it out to other folks from a clinical informatics. So it's more like the clinicians can reach me anytime they, they feel they're necessary. But I, I, I feel very mercurial. I belong to everybody's need when the time comes and how those groups uh, require me. I oversee our physician informaticists, nursing informaticists, some of our analysts on different committees that sit within our IT uh, infrastructure and, and governance structure. But my influence is, is global across the network, but it's a pleasure to meet and listen to the ideas of all clinicians and analysts throughout the network because everybody has their specific view on how things should happen. And just like real estate, it, it's all local. Politics is local. So the workflows for an admission at Vassar Hospital is different than the workflows for admission at Danbury. Uh, let's say workflow admissions at Danbury Hospital would be, hey, you know, who does med rec? Well, that's the clinicians and the nurse work together in med rec. Some other hospitals is pharmacy. They're on the admission process and they do the med reconciliation. So how we cater the functions and flow of the EMR has to be specific to the end user's desires on how they want to make that flow for the betterment of their success. Now you had a CIO or associate CIO role at some point in time in your mm -hmm. career. I noticed that somewhere in your LinkedIn profile. So what was that like? Were you managing the application teams or was it more quality related? How did you fit in as an associate CIO? Mm -hmm. I think that's a position many CMIOs would like to be involved with. Absolutely. I think our understanding of the CIO responsibilities, budgeting, technology workflows. Hey, this is a great idea, but from a technology perspective, Dr. Valerian, it's impossible. <laughs> and that's a CIO response, right? But it's okay because I like to hear where I can push to the edge. So aligning myself and working with my, my CIO at the time, Kathy Cania, helped me understand what her responsibilities were at Staten Island and the whole healthcare network at uh, where I learned a tremendous amount of information from. Northwell Health gave me a great experience listening to the leadership from the IT perspective and their goals and how they build out server farms, how they build interfaces, how they manage cost reduction. Those things are valuable and, and valued for a CMIO to be successful. So aligning myself in those meetings, listening to the issues they were having, throwing in my, my perspective from a clinical informatics view into the development of IT projects, I believe brought better outcomes to those projects because now we're not just aligning ourselves from an IT perspective as a project, we have a network project and all of the people involved that are gonna be impacted by that network project have to have some work to bring together their bricks and mortar to help build the chapel of what we call a healthcare network. And listening and learning helped me become a better CMIO for sure. So you've been on the job just a few weeks. Is there non-EMR vendor technologies that you're interested in, that you want to bring to the system, things that you're like, this is a gap that we need to close or that you find so exciting that you want the system to look at? Uh, absolutely. In the last year, I've worked with several other companies. I consulted with Dr. First, 
Dr. First, as you know, has been a, a leader in integrating with both Epic and Cerner their med history and smart SIG technologies. They've developed, again, a back-end telehealth platform that's integrated across an entire region. What we want to do is remove the walls of healthcare. Healthcare should be as if you're sitting in your home or on your iPhone or or Google device and you have complete view of what's going on within your healthcare domain as a patient. So we want to develop platforms that allow removal of those walls, care continuum, a care collaboration, not just for access of care for the clinicians, but access for the patients to feel that they're a part of their care experience. So in developing that digital patient experience, bringing in third-party vendor technologies, both on the ambulatory side, on the inpatient side, through uh, certain integrations, but also on the EMS side too. There's technologies out there from Dr. First that you could just scan a driver's license and pull up the patient's information. That's valuable. That is tremendous innovation that allows the caregiver, the paramedic, the EMT, to pull up my clinical information if I'm unconscious and take care of me right then and there because they know exactly what's going on with me in the field. Before, you have to just gather up the medications and make a list and type them into the EPCR in the, in the EMS vehicle, but now you can automate the process by using third-party technologies to integrate the workflow. So as we pull apart the workflow and f- remove those delta of waste segments where people are involved, where poor technology designs involved, where paper is involved, and streamline the process to make it frictionless is the term that everybody's using from point A to point Z. Follow the patient, build the technology underpinnings that allow that frictionless transfer of the patient as they transfer from disposition to disposition, admission to to ICU, to discharge, back to patient care. Build in the underpinnings of communication so that everything the patient needs is available to the clinicians throughout the continuum of care. Those kind of third-party integrations, those kind of futuristic thought processes are valuable to any healthcare network. I also work for the company that did RTLS. RTLS was a, a fixture at Einstein Healthcare Network Emergency Department for, for many years. And we developed there, when I was a CMIO, the ability to build the business analytics behind the graphic user interface so that certain critical patients were reminded, the clinicians were reminded about their issues, a learning was prompted immediately. We'd have uh, efficiency of care, reducing the throughput of that patient, saving the hospital millions of dollars because there wasn't waste. There's waste when you don't know what's going on. By applying data, transparency, and understanding around those workflows, these third-party companies can come into healthcare and just absolutely change our capabilities to become more efficient uh, caregivers for our patients. You're talking about scanning the driver's license and getting that medication history. I was a paramedic firefighter 
when I was significantly younger. And <laughs> I, the, great, the good old days. I would have given my left arm to have that technology back then right. to be able to pull that. So I love bringing in new technology that the EMR vendors, they're never going to do that. They're never going to be involved in EMS scanning driver's license to populate medication histories. That's just out of their realm of expertise. And I think it's the job of the CMIO to find the right third parties to bolt on to augment the health system. So love what you're doing there. Thank you. Fully agree with that too. We we're always have to be heads on a swivel looking for issues internally, but innovations externally that we can marry the two and, and, and solve problems. Let's touch on digital services a bit because I detected a touch of passion in your voice as you were thinking about the patient experience. Now it's COVID-19 and I'm seeing patient centricity go out the window. It's really focusing on how do I stand up ICUs in my garage rather than right. <laughs> how do we get the patients a good experience. But this will change. It'll come back in vogue to be patient-centric again. What are your thoughts about how to do that better either in previous health systems or the one you're in now? Great question. COVID has not only changed the experience model for the patient, but it changed the work practices for clinicians. Primary care kind of went out the window, let's say, for a temporary, and we're trying to bring it back slowly. The pendulum has swung to the other extreme for healthcare technologies that are digital health, remote healthcare, telehealth, and, and now we're going to bring the ball back but the ball will swing back relevant to the care models of the clinicians, orthopedics less so than primary care, less more so than let's say neurosurgery. But now that we've broken the reins or the restrictions of telehealth, now we're gonna have people asking for it. More patients will be asking for it. Hey, I wanna do this by telehealth. I don't want to carry my baby in at two in the morning. Can we have a 24 hour telehealth? Yes. We can. We can set up telehealth 24-7. We're looking in New Vance now to develop that capabilities, repurposing the downtime. Here, here's one example. Emergency physicians who are lower downtime between 12 and 5 a.m. coming across and having a response in their EMR, blink, oh look, we have a telehealth call coming in. I could take that telehealth call. I have a downtime here at two in the morning. Hi, Mrs. Smith, how are you today? That's repurposing the ED's physician workflow, supporting the overall mission of a healthcare network. Patient satisfaction goes up. That visit that would have been delayed or not even occurring that day can now be easily addressed, reducing the impact of resources, utilizing the same person that's already on shift, already getting paid for that work during those 12-hour shifts, addressing that patient. Digital technology has transformed healthcare, and our job is to understand the process and workflow to best utilize that digital technology, whether it be telehealth, home, remote monitoring, Wi-Fi scales, blood pressure cuffs, those kind of technologies that we want to enhance the patient's engagement with is something that we have to look ahead and prepare our patients for and our clinicians for. Right now, there is a lot of change going on, and we want to take advantage of that energy. We want to take advantage of this, I call it COVID energy, that once COVID settles down, it will not go away until we have a vaccine. We all believe that, we all understand that, but it'll be there. So 
helping patients navigate the confusing environment they're in by using digital technology, telehealth capabilities, and new process and workflows. Because you can give them telehealth, but if we're not prepared to take it in or we're not prepared to understand our workflows from a primary care physician or surgeon or ED physician's workflow, you have to cater the workflow on the inside to fit the enhancements on the outside. So in my our greater view at Nuvance is the ability to say, okay, we're going to create a change in the clinical processes and workflows that will drive a change in the patient experience. We go from workflow on the inside to the experience change of innovation on the outside. Love it. Love it. You definitely have a lot of energy, and I know you're involved with a bunch of startups. I'm just going to pick one that I saw, Skywriters MD. Tell us, what is Skywriters MD, and how did you get involved, and what's your mission there? Uh, Great. Thank you. Skywriter MD started by a vision by the president, Tracy Rue. He was understanding that his colleagues and who are friends, physicians, were having a terrible time dealing with patient care, patient satisfaction scores five, six years ago. And why? Because now that technology, the, the great bastion of EMR has come and we had to focus on our EMR, the patients were seeing the back of their physicians' heads. That is not healthcare. That is data collection. Because now I got to type on my computer and the physical exam is delayed. I'm not seeing one patient every 15 minutes, having issues with my patient look at me strange, like, why are you typing? Why aren't you not examining me? We've lost the relationship. It's when you enter medicine and you deal with patients, there's a respect, there's a trust that is transferred from the patient to the physician. And the physician doesn't support that trust. We lose the ability to convey our teaching. Doctor means teacher and teacher of medicine means you have to have a relationship with that patient. Enjoy the patient for who they are as an entire person. And that entire person needs the touch, needs the eye contact, needs the emotional side that we can convey as clinicians. The EMR created a rift between the patient and physician contract. And we've lost for a little bit that interaction. What Tracy Rue wanted to create was an environment where we can regain that trust by utilizing technology. And his thought was, well, Skywriter can be from the outside, a virtual scribe doing the work that the clinician is doing currently in their one-to-one interaction with the patient remotely so that there's no third party in the room. All we do is listen to the interaction and put in the information live right into the EMR. So that saves the time on the clinicians working and they don't have to be typing the whole time. They can be focusing their attention on the patient, dictating live right to a Skywriter. We created two Sky Centers, one in Denver, Colorado, and one in College Station. And we use Texas A&M pre-med, pre-nursing, pre-PA students as our cadre for Skywriters. They're all US-based, 
They're all uh, uh, preclinical folks that are entering the healthcare uh, industry, and they're very interested in learning healthcare. And this is a, a wonderful way to learn what a physical exam is like. How do you write an order? How do you integrate with, with a patient? How do you deal with difficult patients? That knowledge that they're gaining as a Skywriter with Skywriter MD transfers directly to the success as clinicians in the future. So we have a one-to-one -one relationship with the Skywriters and the clinicians. That capability of doing that securely into any EMR in the country, we're agnostic to the EMR, gives that relationship back to clinician and patient. At the end of the session, the physician would say to the Skywriter, okay, let's close the chart, we're gonna do this and this, let's bring up these orders, and the, the Skywriter would put the orders in, Guy writers do not function as the clinician. They're not given uh, a rights to uh, sign off on any orders or any prescriptions. The physician looks at the chart, signs off on the chart, signs the scripts that are written by the skywriter, and moves on to the next patient. So that aggregate time has now been completed, and they don't have to worry about finishing the chart later on. And for many physicians, that saves an hour, two hours of, of post-clinic day that they can get back either with their family or doing other things. It also removes the cost for physical scribes in the room, interrupting the, the flow of care, making the patient feel uncomfortable. And in today's COVID world, it's, it's a perfect solution to remove the risk of having a third party uh, a gown and gloving to protect themselves from any COVID risk at all. So those kind of issues has really made uh, virtual scribe an industry leader in documentation and we are proud to say that we are 100% US based and, and growing significantly with the desire to be more remote and more uh, efficient in the everyday practices of healthcare. Would that work with telehealth services that doctors are doing today? Absolutely. We're putting in a, a virtual a, a model for, for telehealth within so that when you're in the entire paradigm of the Skyrider environment, you can either do a clinical session on site with a Skyrider or say, no, you know what? I'm going to see Mrs. Smith remotely. I do not need a Skyrider. Click on the telehealth mode and, and off you go to do your, your uh, examination for telehealth. So we'll have a duality of function in the next month or so. Al, this has been fantastic. You're just a wealth of knowledge for CMIOs, both on the entrepreneurial side, your vision of how to work with third-party vendors, and just the journey you've taken as a CMIO. Thank you for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Mark, it's my pleasure, and I look forward to working with any CMIOs in the future and also learning from CMIOs who have ideas. Send them my way. I'm more than happy to understand the future that we're all uh, embarking on together. You're on LinkedIn if they needed to connect? Absolutely. I'm glad to connect with anybody who had any questions. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode.